On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, it is time for the brightest conversation in Hamilton podcasting. Mike Fortune and I are going to be chatting about whether or not politicians should be allowed to block constituents on social media. That has been a topic of great debate recently. Canada and China. Should we even bother fighting against them? We are a little gnat in their ear. And with that being said, why are we taking away our one element of strength that we could have in this fight? Women in STEM, we're pushing women into the STEM programs. That's great. We want women to be engineers. What about men going into nursing? Should we be pushing those as well? And what sitcom started 30 years ago this week? Stick around. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It is Friday, and that means it's time for the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio, as we like to call it. Got a lot of stuff to get to, and in studio with us, one of our favorite people to have in studio. Always love having Mike Fortune from Cable 14 here. Thank you, sir, for coming in again. Great to be here in a nice, cool studio. It's greatly, greatly appreciated. You're looking after my health. Let me uh, me get to this story that, uh, uh, there's a bunch of stuff I want to get to today, and we've got time to do it, but... There are questions now about Canadian politicians and social media and whether Canadian politicians should be allowed to block people on social media. In other words, if you are a politician in this country, by accepting that responsibility, do you abdicate the ability to shut people down so they cannot get onto your Twitter account, cannot get onto your Facebook account, not your personal one, I guess, like your, your official one? Well, that's what I was I was going to say. Like, if you if you are a politician, I think you should have two accounts. You should have a personal account that you can make private and for friends and family only. And then, if if you so desire to have a social media account, um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't think you should be allowed to block people because you. This is what you've signed up for. You can't be driving down the street and block people out of your way. You, you take the criticism. You take the heat. Um, what if the criticism that you're getting is offensive? So now we're going, now we're taking it to bullying. Well, what if, I mean, we had a story over the last couple of weeks here in Hamilton. Can you just mute them? Why don't you just mute them? Instead of blocking, why don't you just mute them? Well, what's, okay. Uh, anyway, sorry. No, no, but I mean, so we've had a story going on this week in Hamilton where the mayor's involved and the police are involved and I don't know other groups about. are what's involved. Yeah. What's happening? Um, and you know what, there's been some angry things said all over the place on both sides of this thing. And so, you know, if someone decides to go on there and direct venom at a, and I don't know if this has happened, I'm just using it as an example because it's been a very hot story in town here and a lot of high feelings running high. Someone goes on and starts saying things to a politician that is offensive. Do you then have the right or should you then have the right to say, no, no, I was good with you. Until you cross that line, or do you still have to say, you know what? No, open. It. I'm a politician. I got to be able to leave it up there. I, I I think it's it's up to your decision in regards to how you handle it. And if I was a politician, and thank God I'm not. Indeed, I would. <laughs> I I would. If they want to yell and scream and 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 make themselves look like that on social media, that is out there forever. That's fine. As a politician, you got to dig deep. I think within, and not respond back. Say, okay. Oh, I agree with that for they, sure. They, they don't get involved. Don't add fuel to the fire. Or as another politician once said, don't be adding oxygen. Don't be giving them oxygen for it. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think that politicians but, as a rule 
benefit themselves not one whit by getting involved in a shouting match with constituents. But do I think things should be happening on a personal level where they should be blocking? No, I don't think you should block them. I think you should take the high road, either completely ignore them, let them say their piece, but don't respond. Or if you want, you mute them. Because then at least if you mute them, you don't know if you've been muted or not. You don't know if they're actually going to see what you're saying. The challenge I would have with this, the only part about this, and I agree with most of what you're saying. And as I mentioned before, I don't think a politician does themselves any good by getting in a shouting match with constituents. No one does, generally, although it happens. But if you are a politician who... Here, here's the sympathy I have towards them in one particular circumstance. If you're a politician, your career, your job relies on people voting for you, on people being familiar with you. And of course, if there are people on your site making ill-founded accusations that you are a racist or you are a sexist or you are whatever else, to that, I almost say, look, if you can't, if, if this is stuff that is absolutely without merit, I don't know. In those cases, now, if it's just, you're an idiot, I don't like what you do, That no, you got to be able to take that stuff. So let me take it another way, because Facebook and Twitter is so easy to do. You can sit on any device anywhere in the world and make those comments, sexist, racist, you name it. Is it any different if someone takes the time to uh, paint, a, paint a placard or something and, as we saw here put it on the lawn. That's basically the same thing. If anything, that's even centering them out even more. Well, I see, I, I absolutely a thousand percent disagree with that, with that, that is, that was so out of line that every single person involved in that or loosely involved in that, even if it was someone from that group who was being spoken for in some way should have immediately dismissed and, and debunked or whatever the word I'm looking for the, that entire episode. That was ridiculous. Let me change it up. You have a parade or something going on and you have a politician's name at the top. So-and-so is a racist and you're just holding a sign walking down. Is, is that okay? You, You can't block that. That's freedom of speech. If it's just criticism, if it's just, you know, I don't like what you voted on, whatever else, that's, and you try to block them for that, you shouldn't be in politics. You, you got to have a thicker skin than that. We're, what I think we're talking about more is the extreme cases where someone says something that is grossly offensive or wildly untrue or whatever else. Um, and what do you do then? What if someone calls you a racist and you, and, and accuses you of saying something that you never said on, and people are now reading this going, wait a second, you, he, he said that he, because we know how this stuff works. It gets around, Mike, it suddenly catches fire and you may not have done it, but there's a group of people who will believe you did it because that's how things work. What about those circumstances where it's, it's, it's egregiously inaccurate or egregiously libelous or slanderous, but in the case of it being written, it'll be libelous. I would like to see more politicians use their communications department a lot more. And instead of just off the cuff on a Friday night, throw down a response to some stupid comment that was sent to you, let the air settle a little bit and maybe send out an official release. Take the time, have a professional help you out, your your staff help you, and send out your release that way because at least that way that calms the waters things might um, slow down a little bit but because this is also instantaneous you can really then because then you get away from your message you 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 get away from uh what was sometimes they're just doing it to get under your skin let's get a response let's get a reaction and then all of a sudden you're in a conversation and then it opens you up to 
uh, more potential errors or saying something else that you really don't want to say. Well, look at the example that we talked about from this week, uh, where you mentioned about how some people went and put signs on the mayor's lawn. And the sign says the mayor, to, to the effect, I can't remember the exact words, but the mayor hates or the mayor doesn't like queer people. I have seen no evidence that Mayor Fred Eisenberger is anti-gay. Neither have I. Homophobic, anything along those lines. You can like the mayor, you can not like the mayor. Those signs, to me, went way into an area where you say, you know, now, is there a, is there a response from him? If that was on social media, you have two, two, you have three choices. You ignore it completely. You respond, which is going to only start a back and forth, which is probably not going to get anyone anywhere, or you try and shut them down. So what's the right response? In is shutting them down, if those kind of lines come in, is that the appropriate response? I think you should open up for conversation. And if, if this is how you truly feel about me, you know what? Feel free to call my office. I'd be more than happy to sit down with you one-on-one and we can have this discussion. Everyone wants discussions out in the public. And I guess I get it. You, you are a public figure. This is what you signed up for. But there are times and there are cases where a lot more can get done in a one-on-one simple conversation as opposed to in the big broad world of social media. And I know there's a lot of people out there saying, Mike, you don't know what you're talking about. That sounds ridiculous. But uh, that's how I like to conduct my business. You don't, you don't need all these hands in the cookie jar and everyone's opinion. And if something has been said about you that you don't agree with, why not reach out with them with a simple phone call or an email and say, you know what, I got, got your response, got your, your social media uh, texting or wording. Let's have a chat. One one interesting part about this is in the States, this has been an, a, a subject that has been before the courts. And in January, in the 4th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, what level that means, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, someone can help you out better than I can. Someone smarter than you and I can, It's yeah. not the opening level of court. It's not the Supreme Court of the United States. It's somewhere in between. Uh, in a 3 nothing decision, they argued that politicians in the States are not permitted to ban people or block people from social media. Mm. Even in a case, and the case that this one came from was an outrageous case, like we're just talking about, where the politician was really unfairly smeared in a way that was inaccurate and probably libelous. And problem is, if you're a politician, and I'm sympathetic to this in a sense, while I am a free speech advocate of the highest order, if you're a politician and someone says this about you, and then you turn around and sue them, you are only putting fuel to the fire, well, even even if you're right. That's why I think you, you need to you need to have a good comms team behind you. You need you need to have people that know how to put out these fires and know how to handle these situations. And you can turn you can turn things back into your favor very easily because a lot of the time, look at the people that are who are these keyboard warriors. Well. Uh, it, that's a really interesting point, too, because uh, there are times when it's my belief that there are decisions and pressures being put on city council in Hamilton, for example, from the social media folks. And because it's social media and it's loud, it sounds like, wow, everybody believes yeah. this. And there is a small but very loud, very aggressive group of people on social media who are driving a lot of the discussion in this city a lot of the time. And I sometimes wish council would just turn off their social media, I, honestly. I, I agree. We're a city of 570,000 some odd people, give or take. And it has been alluded to by other councillors, and I'm a believer of this as well. There is always a small vacuum 
you know, squeaky wheels can sometimes get the grease and that's what they try to do. But at the end of the day, I know in my circles and in, with some of my colleagues and some of my customers that I deal with, there are some people that have no clue what's going on, not even paying attention. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is interesting. And I, I haven't seen, I don't know if any Hamilton politicians or frankly, any Canadian politicians have endeavored or have tried to shut anyone down I, I or block be- anyone. I believe around our horseshoe. Well, I think so. there, there yeah, is I don't, a, I don't want to be throwing names out there, but there, there is a, there is a counselor that has been noted to be blocking people on a regular basis. Uh, you know, we got to go to a break here. I would love. I wouldn't criticize a counselor, even though it would be very not 2019, if they just didn't have Twitter. Because l- let's be cl- let's be fair on this one. I mean, more often than not, politicians and Twitter don't go hand in hand. Don't always lead to good results. No, sometimes they do. And if you have a well-crafted uh, website and you have other ways of getting your message out across through the city. That's how I think how you should be That's doing it. That's it. Those of us in the media, it's great when a politician wants to lose his or her mind and go oh, off on social papers, media. papers, headlines, CHML but, loves it for breaking news. Well, everybody does. But it's. It, it, I sometimes wonder if it if they would not be better off to say, you know what, we'll talk in person, we'll talk in the council chambers, and mm-hmm. you'll get my answer there. We'll pull the Lou Lamorello move. Hey. There will be no noise except for what I say in person. And I think Lou Lamorello has been pretty successful. Sometimes. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. One of the stories this week that we have read about is this situation between Canada and China, this ongoing escalating situation where Mm -hmm. it all started, well, all started, the big moment, I guess it started was when uh, Canada scooped up uh, Meng Wanzhou, who was a senior executive with Huawei, for the United States Mm -hmm. to hold her for stuff that was going on detained in Vancouver. Uh, in To fire back, I guess, China detained two Canadians, Michael Covering and uh, Michael Spavor. And then there's been other things back and forth with China saying no to your meat products and this and that and the other. And, um, and now this week we have China saying that uh, Canada was naive if it thought that it's allies, if they, if we thought our allies were going to stand up for it and really do something about this. And I can't help Mike come to the same conclusion that I started this with. We are really not in a, much as we like to believe we matter, we are really not in a position to take on China and think we have any power Whatsoever, are we? We're small potatoes, very small potatoes when it comes to a country of that size with that type of money, that type of mindset, that type of smart Population. Population. Um, and, of course, their, what they have in their arsenal in case they ever did want to. Well, see, I don't think that is. I, I really well, don't. I don't believe that we're ever at risk of China lobbing missiles at us or something. I just don't. I think. I'm just saying that they're well more equipped than we are. Absolutely they are. But for them... That that would be one time when the al- when our allies would, would come to our defense. And why would you start a war over Canada? It, you know that that would make no sense for China. Nonetheless, I look at this thing and I think you know, and it's not about this particular prime minister. It could be any prime minister of any party. If you truly believe that you are going to stand up to China as a Canadian prime minister, you are deluded. Are you not? You're deluded. We. 
Mm-hmm. We have 37, 38 million For people sake, yeah. in China, to... or in Canada. China has, in 2019, 1.42 billion people. Their population increase in 2019 from 18 is 5 million. They have gone up in population by about a seventh of our population just in the last year. Yeah. We we are we are a the equivalent of a province in China. Exactly. Where how do we so I don't know what the answer is. I mean I does it mean we have to roll over and let the Chinese scratch our tummies like no. acquiesce in dogs? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that it that is it at all. I think you have to treat people in other countries with respect. I think you have to stand up for what you believe in and ensure that they should know that we're going to have your back, Let, but let's work together. Let's have open conversations. Let's not be tweeting back and forth at each other and being mad at each other. Let's have some face-to-face conversations. If not, at least let's pick up the phone and talk to each other. But even if you stand up and do what you believe is right, and, and I don't disagree with that at all. I don't think you can ever go wrong doing that. But when you do that, should you expect that it's going to lead anywhere? Or do you just do that because it's the right thing to do? I think you do it because it's the right thing to do and you're putting yourself in a, in a position where everyone can hear and see what you are saying and what you stand up for and what you believe in. You're going to get more, uh, what's the saying? You get more flies with honey than you do with vinegar? I mean, you're, you're rolling your eyes at me. Well, I know no, that's pretty... I, no, no. I, I, it's a saying that we've all heard. And, yeah. and in in general terms, it's correct. In and, general terms, that's right. And maybe I'm being... And people are probably saying, Forge, you're being completely naive. But, well, but I'm are. not. Because I do understand that there's also a business behind business and there's politics behind politics. We're talking about people's lives here right now. And that's a whole other story. Well, I see, I think you are being naive. I, I, I like the naivete because yeah. I think that the, the thought behind it is right. You do the right thing and you hold hope that that leads somewhere. Here in Canada, we might call it a trade war or some sort of war with China. In China, it seems like we are probably that little fly in the tent that won't go and keeps buzzing in your ear. We're annoying, but really there's no harm that's going to befall you. I don't think. Nothing wrong with being a little bit of a pest. Where do you think in the list of countries by population, Canada stands in the world? And number one, as I said, is China, 1.42 billion. India second, 1.4 roughly billion. United States is third, number four with 329 million. Uh, Number four would never have guessed number four, Indonesia. Wouldn't have guessed that either, no. Uh, 270 million. Brazil, five. Pakistan, six. Nigeria, seven. Bangladesh, eight. Russia, nine. Mexico, 10. You got to go down all the way off the first screen here. Two, number, ready for this? 38. 38. To get to Canada. Out of how many? There's what, 230 countries or something like that? There are 233. The smallest one would be Vatican City, the Holy See. So so we are number 38. And the problem with that is that we are... We are obviously a great country. People here love living in Canada. We're proud of our status. This is not a a slap Canada discussion. No, it's not. But we are behind Nigeria. We're behind Vietnam. We're behind the Congo. We're behind Thailand. We're behind Tanzania. All these countries, theoretically, if you are China, and those are, like those countries all have significantly more population. We may have more wealth, but those countries would all 
be every bit as important or more important to China. We are one would think, but again, to your point, look at look at who we're attached to. Look who we have as yes. our, our big brother. Yes, uh, agreed. Yes, and and you know Canada does have a lot to offer. Aside from being the most yes. polite country, we have a lot to offer to the world. Well, we and have natural people, resources that are needed. I- exactly, and that is huge. That is huge. Except for one small thing, we seem lately to be going out of our way to making a lot of those natural resources unavailable to go to other countries. We won't build a pipeline that would allow us to export the oil to those other countries that would make us more valuable and more important. That's a whole other topic. No, it's not though. It's not because if we, our water, our lumber, but especially our oil, if we were now to become a major player in the world with oil and China needs oil... Mm -hmm. Suddenly now we have some ability to flex some muscles around the world. You want our oil at our prices, whatever else. But if you now say, we're not going to create a situation where we can export this stuff, we take away our number one strength in the world economy. So what does our old faithful leader do then? How how does he... How do you balance the... How do you write the ship? How do you balance the far left and the right and the people who want oil and the environmentalists and all? I don't know. That's why he's prime minister. Uh, Well... (laughs) That's that's for him and his advisors to figure out. But you're looking at this and you're saying, wait a second, how different, I think about this, how different might this discussion be about trying to get our two prisoners back if when they say, okay, we're not going to take Canadian meat. You know, I mean, look, I'm sure China can find meat elsewhere. Uh, but now all of a sudden you say, fine, we're not going to send you oil at the prices you want. Well, maybe that's something that resonates more. I and, don't know. And with that said, can Canada not be, all right, well, you don't want to deal with us? Look at there's 233 countries out there. I'm sure we can build relationships with other. We can import and export with other fine folks out there. But once again, we're talking about trying to get hostages back, which is what they are. Let's be very honest here. And we have removed our number one bargaining tool. We've, mm-hmm. We're taking it off the table If we were a major exporter to China and to some other countries, we would have a bargaining chip for situations like this that we can threaten them with because it's an important, important, important component of what we can offer that Mm -hmm. makes us unique. As I say, if the only thing that we have to offer is say, you can't get our wheat, you can't get our canola oil, which they've already banned as well, you can't get our beef, they can find that stuff elsewhere. That's it's it's it may be important. It's not really so, important. So in in any type of litigation or any type of discussion back and forth, can you find another? You should try to find another weak link. What is another weak link that you can go after? We're going to stop McDonald's, Chinese Big Macs. I, I just I I, I, I I don't know. I, I it just seems to me to be so self defeating that the that the one thing that would allow us to truly mm-hmm. be a player, and it's not just about the money. It's about the leverage that we have to make ourselves a player on the world stage. Mm. And we are fighting to prevent, and I understand the environmental considerations. I understand that. But if we're going, if we have something that makes us unique and we're refusing to use that to our advantage, that to me just seems stupid. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I read a story this week, Mike Fortune, uh, And we've heard this many, many times. We've heard this a lot lately about 
getting women into engineering, into construction, mm-hmm. into coaching basketball, men's basketball, into getting women involved in what are traditionally male-dominated industries, businesses, professions, all that kind of thing. And I think it's a very worthwhile, worthy effort to try and do this, to say, listen, if there are women who are interested in engineering, we have to find ways that's going, that are going to make, open those doors so they can do that. If they are a good basketball coach, like Chantal Vallée, who coaches the Hamilton Honey Badgers, if you are good enough, you should be able to work in that industry. I think that's a valid, fair, reasonable, and honorable thing to try and open those doors. But here's my question to follow it up. While we are working so diligently to try and change this, to make this a thing so women can do this, why are we not hearing any of the flip side saying we want to open doors so more men will become nurses, more men will become elementary school teachers, more men will fall into typically female jobs? Because Surely, if our ultimate goal here is equality and to make it 50-50 so different people are doing different jobs, that should be a logical extension of that, shouldn't it? I would think it would be. I don't know if you have to, though, really present it in that way. I I thought that there already are a lot of male nurses. There are there. some male nurses. I would not I say thought, there's a lot. I thought there was more than some. My, or, my daughter is in nursing school right now, and when I asked her about this, there were very few male nurses or men okay. who were in the nursing program. And if and of the times that I've been to clinics, in fact, I can tell you there's a clinic that I've gone to a number of times. If, if I, you know, when you go for your annual physical, they take blood and all the rest. I've never seen a male nurse in there. Is it quite possible that males don't really want to take that career path at all, though? Maybe they don't want to be that elementary. They want to be the high school teacher. They don't want to be the nurse. They want to be the doctor, and that's fine for them to go that route as well. But we have not, I don't think, made that same argument when it comes to the STEM things. We never say... But maybe it doesn't need to be made. No, but I'm saying we don't, I, I don't know. Have we ever actually asked women, girls, do you want to go into engineering? We're saying there should be more women in engineering. Should we not be then saying there should be more? We have to go and search for men to be nurses. We should be pushing this. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, some people are going to say, well, that's completely ridiculous. That's sexist. I, I, I don't know that it is. They're going to blow up your Twitter account now. Well, I don't, I, my question simply is this. If we are trying to create the diversity where you have men and women doing all these different jobs so that it is a, a, a full spectrum for everybody who's coming out of high school, should there not be, if there is this huge push on to get women into these jobs they typically haven't held, why should we not be pushing young boys and young men and, and teenagers to come out and say, look, you should really try nursing. You should think about an elementary school job. And there's lots of others that you could do as well. Social workers. There's not that many social workers that are men. I don't know what's going on in, in the high school world anymore. Maybe those job fairs and those discussions are being had. Uh, I know back in the day when I went to high school, there was a lot of, you could do dental hygienist school. Have you ever seen a male dental hygienist? No, but I know it's open to them. And if they, but if they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. But that, again, my argument with this is not, you're right. I don't want to have a gun to someone's head and say, you better be a dental hygienist or we're going to shoot you. That's not what I'm talking but about. But why should we invest money on in, into that? And, and 
I think they know the opportunities are there if they really want to but be a nurse. But we are or making the assumption. We're making the leap. We're we're taking the position that women, that girls, want to be engineers. Do we have any more proof of that than we do of the side of the boys wanting to be nurses and they just decide not to go into it? I don't know how you find that proof for those logistics. I don't either. I I, I think there are a number of female engineers and more more women getting into the trades. And I think that's fantastic. I, I don't know if you have to put a whole marketing campaign around guys getting into those types of roles. I think they know the option is there for well, them. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, one of, the, one of the things that we've heard a lot is that one of the deterrents to girls going into STEM courses is that it's a very male-dominated world, and therefore it can be intimidating to walk in there and be the only woman or one of the only women. Well, is it is it less so if you're a guy going into nursing and you walk in and there's 300 people in your nursing class and four are guys or five are guys? Is that less so? Tough to say. A, a, a male might walk into one of those classrooms and feel, and feel a lot different than a female, female might going into. Maybe. And, and we truly don't know. And I got you kind of have to watch how you answer this question here. I'm not arguing. It's all, that women, it's all on the individual and what they truly feel that they want to do. I'm simply going to the point that there is a concerted effort being made, which I, as I said off the top, I support the idea. I absolutely support the idea. There is a concerted effort being made to to tell women, to I won't say I won't use the word push women, but to tell women, to explain to women, to nudge women towards those courses and those lines of work. So who are those group, groups that are doing that? Is Are there groups out there that should be letting the men know that, hey, we should Maybe be Maybe that's pushing? it. But why is that not, again, why is that not happening? We have, we have an, an effort being made for, towards equality. And again, I argue that equality would be a good thing. Agreed. That's not the issue here, but it, it where is the push again that we would say, look, there's lots of guys that would be great nurses. There's lots of guys that would be great elementary school teachers. The elementary school teacher is an interesting one because somehow there has been seemingly this this sense in some corners that a male elementary school teacher is a weird thing in a lot of cases. And I, I don't agree with that at all. In fact, I, I you know, there are there, there's a, I know many male, well, not many, I know some male elementary school teachers, they do a great job. There's nothing weird about it. It sounds like the, the professions themselves have to go out and, and market it that way. And if they're feeling right now that these two professions, and these are just the two we're using as an example, feel that this is what they want to do towards the women, that's fine. If they don't feel it's necessary to market this way towards the men, maybe their research shows them something different then they're not going to waste their, their time and their efforts and their financial resources on something. Will it maybe get to that point? Quite possibly. I question the fact that some of these places, some of these courses, some of these lines of work, I, I don't know that there is not a fear that if you suddenly change things up, even if you're going to say, we're going to get 50% of women into the STEM courses, we're going to make it purely, we're going to make it more competitive and make it more available for them to do this. Is there a fear that suddenly now, if you make it more competitive, that suddenly women are not as available or able to get into nursing or these other courses that they have traditionally? I don't know the answer. I don't know That's the tough. answer. And I, I think that we are in a society right now that you that nobody wants to be looking like we are 
blocking women from getting ahead. Blocking or, or favoring one side to That's the right. other. Agreed. That's right. And if you suddenly say, hey, we're going to open up, there, there seems to be no issue with saying, you know what, we're going to make sure that a certain number of women get into these engineering or whatever else courses. I don't think you could ever, I don't think I'm ever going to hear someone say, we're going to guarantee that 50% of the nursing spots next year are men. That's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. And I don't know if it should but, happen. But could you announce a smaller percentage? Maybe. We, we, and, and maybe it's on how you message it. Yeah, send out the message. We would like to open up 10% of the options uh, to, to have males be part of this. Please feel free. Put in your resume, put in your application, let us see your marks, whatever the case might be. We'd love to have you. And you know why we're having this discussion right now? And again, some people are going to say, well, that's sexist. It's not sexist. And the reason is there is study after study, evidence after evidence that boys are struggling in school now, that younger boys are falling behind girls, that it's becoming more and more difficult, that some people say the way teaching is done in schools now, it favors the way girls learn as opposed to boys. In my mind... I want girls who are good at engineering and good at math and that kind of thing to have the opportunities they deserve. But I don't think that we should be just saying, we got to make sure every girl gets a chance to get ahead because there's a lot of people listening who have sons Mm -hmm. who deserve the same opportunity. And you know, they say, well, men have always had the opportunity. Yeah, but we're not all, we're not in the always world. This is right now. And there are, if you are willing to work hard and you study hard and you're doing well, you should have equal opportunity regardless of who you are. But I also, and that crosses all borders to me. I also think it comes down to, let's face it, students are all fighting for that same piece of the pie, if you will. That They're all going to come out and want to show off what their marks and their grades are. But I think there's so much more to what tells you what a student is all about. And yes, you know what? You're going to have a group of 100 kids, 50 women, 50, 50 young men, and they're going to all have decent marks. But what's really going to make them stand out that's going to be different that I would want to hire them for is their, their emotional intelligence. What have you done within the community? What have you done to prove yourself? Yeah, you're okay. You're great at studying. You got some good marks. So do 99 other people. What makes you a little bit different? And I'm seeing a shift, and I agree with this that women seem to be doing a little bit more out there. And I think that's fantastic because you know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing a lot of the the, the young men, the boys, spending all their time playing Fortnite and all these gun games and GTA and so on and so forth. They're not out experiencing life. They're experiencing it through devices. Women do as well, but I see them a lot more involved with a lot of other things that are going out in front of a screen. And that's a valid point, I think. Again, I argue at the risk of sounding to some people like we are playing favorites is not the case at all, but I would argue if we were seeing girls falling behind in school the way we're seeing boys fall behind in school, would we be just going, oh, whatever? Or would it be considered a national emergency that we would have to do something? And I think it's the latter. And I think it's a, I think it's unfortunate that we are seemingly caring so little about the disparity that we're seeing now. And that while it is good that we're pushing women through doors that weren't always there, I don't think it's a good thing to be pushing girls through as good as that is, but just saying to the guys, oh, figure it out. Yeah, we'll leave you on your own. Figure it out. You'll you'll find something. You'll find something. Uh, 
I'll be very interested to see if in the years to come, as we're again pushing more and women into more and more or opening doors for women, again, good thing, if we're seeing the same push on to say, let's see some guys in typically female jobs, or if that's seen as a negative thing because that's taking away women's jobs. I, I don't know. How much of that push, though, starts at home, though, with the parents? Uh, sure. The caregivers. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I don't know that if mom or dad, well, you've got kids. When your kids hear it from you and they hear it from someone else, who do they listen to often? Usually the other person. Hmm. They don't listen to dad too often. They they, they will on the important Subconsciously, things. Subconsciously. Yeah. And, yes. and 25 years from now, they'll... Exactly. Yeah. But right now, if they hear it from someone else... You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You know what turns 30 years old today? Not you, not me. 30 years old. 30 years old. What, I'll give you a hint. What appeared on TV for the first time 30 years ago today? This is going to, this may make your head explode to realize it's 30 years since this was on. It wasn't Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Was it Seinfeld? Did I get it? 30 years ago today. That was a total guess. Seinfeld, 30 years ago today, which seems impossible. Wow. Seems impossible. Because it just it seems as though, it, well, it just seems as though it can't have been that long. Because it's, it's, it's a show that's so relevant still. Well, and that was what I wanted to ask you, is that what makes, like catchphrases, for sure. I get that we all have, like lots of shows have catchphrases, but I'm not sure that in 30 years... We're going to be talking about Big Bang Theory and everyone's going to be going bazinga or whatever. You know, like what What makes a show have the lasting power and the relevance that Seinfeld does? It, it's very simple. And I'm taking a line from the show because it's a show about nothing. Everything is a Seinfeld episode. What we And we talk about this in our office all the time. And you run into it at the spec. But this could be a show. And I know it's a radio show, but you and I talking could just be a show. Like they were, the writers were so clever, Larry, David, and Jerry, and then bringing the acting together. They made everything so, so simple to understand. It was a simple show and it hit on some taboo topics that I don't think you could touch on nowadays, but man, oh man, you got it and you were able to get it without them actually saying anything. It was fantastic. The writing was spectacular. Yeah, you know, uh, I was trying to think of... Well, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, because you know, I was a big fan of Cheers back in the day. Cheer, I thought I knew my Cheers inside out. I've forgotten everything almost about Cheers. But 30 years later, you're still referencing Seinfeld one-liners, quotes constantly. There is... And this is the weird part about this. There's almost not a day, and, and maybe I'm unique here, but there's almost not a day when I don't have a Seinfeld reference. You are not unique. I think everyone runs into it. If you had watched the show, there were enough things going on that somewhere you're going to have a low talker or a close talker or a um, I mean, high, talker, thing, high talker, you name man it. hands, uh, pick your thing. Well, I haven't had a puffy shirt yet, but oh, I've seen someone wear one of those. Uh, I don't want to wear a puffy yeah. shirt. Yeah, but it, it, <laughs> uh, what's the deal with that? <laughs> yeah, see, uh, his, his comedy was just genius. <laughs> but there have been there have been innumerable sitcoms over the years that have been great. I mean, Friends was hilarious. Here's the thing. Here's one of the things that I think Se- that Seinfeld did that makes it stand out for me as as one of the things that makes it unique. It never, to my mind 
jump the shark. There was never a point in the life of the sitcom where you went, oh, now they're having the wedding. Oh, now they're having the baby. And oh, now that whatever. And every other sitcom seemed to have that. Because, and, and you know, I, I enjoy Big Bang Theory, but it got to a point a couple of years ago where it was like, I'm just watching my life on TV. So you're right. Because all those other sitcoms, it was about family and love and breakups and life lessons where Seinfeld was just about everyday happenings and they never got serious. There was never, I don't, I think there might have been the odd political message. Sure. But but, but it was an underlying funny tone. But name the other great, so go through the other great sitcoms of maybe of since the 80s. And and I mean, like the really great ones, the the ones people would put in their mash. Uh, did MASH get really serious? Did MASH have weddings at the end? Maybe at the very end. Yeah, they had one at the very end because... Very end. Uh, um, I wasn't a MASH fan, so I don't know it inside. But out. I mean, Cheers, it got, you know, you had you had the love thing. There was a lot of love interests and all that. And again, that's okay. But The whatever. Office, Jim and Pam ends up getting married and having kids. The shark in Niagara Falls and the shark was kind of jumped. Happy days where the jump the shark phrase came from. Exactly. Uh, when Fonzie went from his black leather jacket to a white one was like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, on and on, all these shows had a moment. Friends, did I say friends already? No, where you, you start having, getting married and having babies and all. It was like, uh, you know what? Yeah, it was really funny, but. The you know, this was the one that not only was clever but somehow managed to avoid having to do all that stuff. There there wasn't a lot of emphasis on progression within their lives. No, there was none. There was very yeah. George may have lost a job or got a new job, but there was no progression overall. It's almost like The Simpsons. They just they almost never aged. They just continued. Oh, at the end of the show, you you. It's one of those shows. I think because of that. That you could have watched the last episode, well, an episode from the last season. You could have put it in the first season. And it wouldn't have made any difference because, no. as I say, there's no progression where you are feeling like uh, it's sort of, and jump the shark. I'm, no no true storylines. Like, so so he, here's the other thing then. I, I understand that people are cutting the cord and everyone's going to Netflix or streaming or whatever, but there's still TV and there's still... Why have other writers, and there have been a few that have been able to be successful, but surely every writer in Hollywood, in TV, has looked at the Seinfeld model. How have they not, not stolen the idea, not to have four people who do, but to look at the template at least and say, that's how you do it. Why have they, why have they, no one else or very few others been able to do that? Because you don't have Jerry Seinfeld, who's a creative. Well, and Larry David. You, you don't have a, they're not creative geniuses. That's what it simply comes down to. It comes down to that creativity, the humor, and the simplicity of it. Everyone thinks, again, <laughs> everyone thinks something has to be about something. There has to be something going on. No. There has to be a moral to the story. There, but there doesn't. And, and I th- I think people, writers, might even be a little afraid to touch it, to, to, to even want to look at a template and say, why don't we try this? Because I think everyone's going to say, Seinfeld knockoff. One of the shows that is one of my favorite shows, although the worst, and I think it's tongue-in-cheek. I believe that what the way they do it is a tongue-in-cheek ending. But have you ever watched The Goldbergs? No, I haven't actually. Okay, The Goldbergs no. is great. It's based in the 80s. It's very, very funny. But they, at the end of every episode, after the family has essentially destroyed itself every episode, okay. they always have a happy 
ending that's like a TV after school special where it's a loving thing. <laughs> a kumbaya a, moment. A kumbaya <laughs> moment. They all come together and they're all lovey-dovey again. And I, I really believe that it is tongue-in-cheek to sort of play to that after school ABC sure. TV special. At the same time, it's like, I really wish, I love that show, I really wish they would just dump the schmaltz. It's up a, for the first, it's a, what, a 22 minute, usually a sitcom is 22 minutes. For the first 20 minutes, it's just destructive and hilarious. And then they try to make everything. Tie everything tie back everything in again. And make it nice. It's way funnier if it's just, left. but that was Seinfeld that they were, you left it. There was no happy ending at the end of every show. Not everybody was hugging at the end of every show. And, but, but they had you laughing. They had you laughing. They, they did. And, they, the and they had you talking about it at the office. Now, again, I understand different times because not everyone watches cable now. Not everyone is watching the same shows like Once Upon a Time. There's a billion channels and there's the internet and everything else. So you're not, it's not the same thing. But I but am you, finding that is coming back a little bit. My son is involved, you know, Netflix. He's now watching Friends because it's on Netflix. He has heard my friends and I talk so much about Seinfeld. He's watching Seinfeld. And he's actually able to quote some Seinfeld references and get it and understand it. And it's kind of cool. So I think some of those things, because that is, again, that's a show where 30 years later, 50 years from now, will still have relevance and people will be able to to quote and talk about it. The royalties on that show, I heard something silly is, is like in the is it in the billions. What what the what the syndication rights are and all that for that. Uh they he he's not hurting. No. Jerry gosh, Seinfeld no. is not hurting. He's doing very well. Um so when you then in, in our lifespan you said you didn't watch uh MASH. Wasn't I didn't MASH I, guy, I was no. not a MASH I was not a MASH guy, but in your lifetime then and I'm catching you cold here, you did not know to prepare for this. Okay. Give me your five. I'll give you five because that gives a nice broad spectrum. Your five greatest sitcoms. Uh, okay, so Seinfeld. Seinfeld, Cheers, Friends. Seinfeld, Cheers, Friends. There was one off the top of my head. I forget now. I enjoyed Cosby Show. Is that considered a sitcom? Sure, absolutely. Um, Family Ties I always enjoyed. All right. And so you pretty much covered Thursday nights in the 80s on NBC. And that's basic, and Growing Pains. That was my childhood, right. you know? Cosby, who's the boss, and, and, and Growing Pains. And that's how you kind of did it. Uh, Seinfeld. Yeah. Frasier. Okay. The Office. Yeah. Arrested Development. And Mary Tyler Moore. So aside from Mary Tyler, you're, you're going more 90s, it sounds like, to me. 90s? Well, Arrested Development is 2010. 2010, yeah. That's, that's much more recent. I I'm can't sort get of, into comedies nowadays. I'm from funny. the 70s through 2010. I have a, I have a broad and varied You're a connoisseur base. I am a connoisseur. Comedy. I'm a bit of a, a sitcom renaissance man, as it were. A comedy snob. Are you allowed you to will? call yourself a renaissance Why man? Why not? Sure. <laughs> you're a sir. Your initials are sir. That's Why true. not? You can do whatever you want. Um, sir? You know, it, it is amazing though, because uh, like with my list, seventies for Mary Tyler Moore, nineties for Seinfeld, uh, late nineties for Frasier, two thousands for The Office, and two thousand tens for Arrested Development, and it is a, it shows, I think, something about how hard it is to come up with a great sitcom. And right with, with that, big, there's one or two at a time, if that. With Big Bang off the airwaves now. Were you a Big Bang watcher? Yeah, I was. Now, I, the last, as I alluded to earlier, the last few years I didn't watch as much because it started getting a little too serious for me. 
but it's going to be interesting to see what is going to replace that because I don't know if there's anything out there that's replaced it right now. That that next big comedy, I I, I, well, that I, weekly I, that you're looking forward to. Well, I don't think we I don't think we allow ourselves to have great comedies too much. It's got to be really clever because so much comedy has been taken away by people's hurt feelings about everything and stuff like that. It's it's really hard now, and that's one of the other reasons why I think Seinfeld is going to stand the test of time because. Well, uh, who knows if it'll stand the test of time? Because eventually, I think people are going to go. You can't laugh at that. You can't laugh at that. That's a fa-. but, and that will be sad when that day happens. But you, it's going to be really hard to come up with a show that can tackle some of the things it did and not have people be outraged. Imagine, I mean, imagine honestly if Seinfeld was starting today, how many of the topics you could not do? You can't make fun of someone's clothing. That's offensive. You can't make, so you can't have the puffy shirt because that's just how they dress. You can't make fun of the fact they talk low or they talk whatever, because you certainly can't have the Chinese food restaurant episode because that would be <laughs> racist somehow. Uh, the you know, part where Terry, Terry Hatcher was, they're real and they're magnificent. You can't have a, a, a show about a woman's boobs that, you know, whether they're real or whether they're fake. No way you could do that. Don't even touch on the contest. Um, on and on and on, like all these, all these episodes, you go, no, you can't do that. There now. is one episode that you don't really see played regularly, if at all, really. And it was the, I don't know if you ever saw it, the Puerto Rican flag one, because there was controversy over that because of the, how the, the flag was treated. I can't recall that you, one. You, you don't see that one too often. And if you do record it, because you might not see it again, but yeah, you, but even the way they approached and broached these subjects it still wasn't demeaning or embarrassing. It was. It was just. It's. It's what we all think, but in a very comical way. And no matter how much people's feelings get hurt nowadays, and you shouldn't be saying, we still, th- we still think within our own our own minds, and we can still think things are funny if they're presented to you in a clever way. I think we can appreciate that at least. Could you, could you imagine doing the boy in the bubble? <laughs> now <laughs> the bubble boy with the moops it, it would be very difficult what's really sad about this is that the more I talk the more episodes come to mind and the more lines are right at the tip of my tongue and how much of my gray matter is used up with Seinfeld references and that is what is great genius genius about the show yo yo ma there we'll stop we'll stop before I really st- hello <laughs> hello <laughs> yeah Uncle Leo. <laughs> Uncle Leo. Oh, we got to stop. Yeah, uh, 30 years ago. Believe right. it or not, if you are old enough to have remembered that one. Now, b- and by the way, the first couple episodes, yee. They were tough to watch. They, they, they found their stride. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.